When you hear the word arthritis, you probably think of a condition that affects people as they move into their 40s and older, involving stiffness and swelling in their joints. But you may not know that these symptoms are also a reality for approximately 50,000 children in the U.S., starting when they are under the age of 16. This is Katherine Bartlett. Today on the Zebra Chronicles, we're going to be looking at juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Juvenile idiopathic arthritis is an autoimmune condition that occurs when the immune system attacks the tissue of the joints, causing inflammation, pain, and potential joint damage. In many cases, children with JAA have episodes called flares, in which these symptoms worsen. JAA can also cause inflammation in the eyes, resulting in trouble seeing and sensitivity to light, and also inflammation in the lungs which can result in shortness of breath and lung disease. According to the Genetic and Rare Diseases Information Center, the causes and role that family history plays in JAA are largely unknown, but researchers believe that certain genes may cause it when activated by a virus, bacteria, or other external force. JAA is notoriously difficult to diagnose because the symptoms are similar to a number of other conditions and there is no single test that can pinpoint it. When pediatricians see JAA symptoms, they typically refer the patient to a rheumatologist, which is a doctor with specialized training in treating arthritis. The rheumatologist gathers information about the patient's medical history. One of the primary diagnostic criteria is having joint inflammation that has lasted for more than six weeks. The doctor will also conduct blood tests to look for antibodies that commonly form in people with arthritis, as well as perform x-rays to look for cartilage or bone damage. JA is not curable, but anti-inflammatory drugs are used to decrease the enzyme found in joints that leads to inflammation, helping to stop further joint damage. Additionally, exercise and a healthy diet can also help to curb inflammation. Symptoms may also disappear as a patient gets older. Now finishing up her senior year at Magnet High School in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, Laura Masiola has been living with JAA since she was 13. Today, Laura is joining us to share her experience. Hi Laura, thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell me about when you first started showing JAA symptoms and what they were. So I remember I was in seventh grade when I first noticed my JAA and I woke up one morning, had to go to school, but my it, my JIA is in my knees, so my knees were hurting a little bit, and I kind of didn't really think anything of it because I didn't know what it was, so I went to school. I was sitting in my art class, it was probably about halfway through the day, and like my knees started really, really hurting me, um, and I looked down and my knee was actually really, really swollen. So uh, what I did is I went to um, I went to the nurse's office. And the nurses weren't really sure, you know, kind of what was up. They asked, you know, did you hit your knee? Did anything happen? Maybe you twisted it. Mm -hmm. um, so they let me just kind of sit with an ice pack um, for a while, and the swelling went down. Um, and then, you know, I went home for the day. They, they notified my mom, all that. And, um, and it, the knee swelling actually and kept happening. Um, so it was recurring for maybe a few weeks. And then my mom basically said, we're going to take you to a doctor. 
went to a doctor, uh, my, my pediatrician, and he recommended us to another doctor. And so I went there, got some x-rays done just to see if maybe, you know, I, I broke something in my knee, um, yeah. which wasn't the case. And then I got blood taken. And then that doctor said, I'm pretty sure this is what you have, but I'm going to recommend you to a rheumatologist. So I finally go to the rheumatologist, get a bunch of more blood work done. And then um, she diagnosed me with the JIA, which is juvenile idiopathic arthritis. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a process, but we we got there. Yeah, how long did that whole process take? Because I know often it takes a long time to get diagnosed. Yeah, it actually, um, you know, from when my my symptoms started to when we actually went to my pediatrician was like a couple weeks. And then, you know, finally getting those other doctor's appointments in and all that blood work done um, was at least a few more weeks. So it was probably around a month or a little over a month that it took to get from like symptoms to actual diagnosis, which is kind of quick considering how long some things take, but it it did, it was a bit of a long process for that. And do you still kind of, how are your knees now? Now that it's been like, what, five years, do you still show symptoms or have issues uh yeah so when I when I first was diagnosed it was a really big problem like my knees were swelling um constantly they were hurting constantly like it hurt to just even walk um and sometimes I'd be having a good day where I'd wake up and my knees would be fine but then throughout the day I would just like I would just take a step and my knee would just start hurting um and so I took um a medicine for it that was prescribed by my doctor um and event and now I'm off the medicine which is good Um, but, you know, as the years have gone on, it's gotten a lot better. I've learned more how to manage it. Um, so now it, my knees don't really swell as much because I can kind of tell if I have something that's, if I, if my symptoms are showing up again. So I know to take, um, I, I usually take like Advil or Aleve, um, which kind of gets rid of the pain and, um, prevents the swelling. My knee actually hasn't swollen up in about a year, which is really oh, wow, nice. That is nice. Um, so that's actually pretty awesome. But if that ever happens, you know, just ice it. Not much you can do um, about that. Um, it's, it's only in your knee, correct? You don't show swelling or any symptoms in other parts of your body? Yeah, I was diagnosed only with GIA in my knees. Um, but the reason that I had to, you know, get blood work done every couple months and go to the doctor every couple months is because... Um, JIA, it, it usually presents in, you know, one joint, um, but it can affect the other joints. So technically I only have JIA in my knees, um, but my doctor said that it's possible I have it in my ankles as well, even though my ankles haven't swollen. Um, so like one of the symptoms is stiffness. And, um, so obviously it's in my knees and my ankles, but also my hips as well. Um, and I was actually very lucky that we kind of caught it really early on. Um, so it didn't get really bad to the where, to the point where, um, you know, I couldn't move my joints or anything. So I'm, I'm still very functional with that. Um, but one of the concerns, um, is that in juvenile arthritis, they don't really know why, because there's still a lot, they don't know about it, but sometimes it occurs in the jaw too. So I had to get that checked often, but yeah, um, it's, it's mainly in my knees and a little bit in my ankles. Um, And um, so I know you said you take, like, Advil leave. Um, Is there anything else you do to manage your symptoms? Or when you got diagnosed, were there any kind of changes you had to make to your lifestyle? Um, There were a little bit. um, I, growing up, 
you know, I wasn't a super athletic kid. Um, and actually around the point that I, you know, I was diagnosed with my arthritis, I had really started um, becoming a runner. Um, so that, that might have affected it. But my doctor definitely said, you know, you're not an active kid. It'd be great if you could start getting more exercise in. Um, so I really just started increasing my exercise. Um, and so I started running. And I, I had to watch that a little bit. Um, you know, I had to get special shoes for that to make sure that I wasn't hurting my knees too much. Because um, running actually kind of hurts my knees now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I had to try to find other forms of exercise that wouldn't kind of kill my knees. So I usually did like biking or, or yoga or something, um, that was Easy less intense. Yeah. On my knees. Um, they also, for, for a few years I was on, um, it's called meloxicam. It's like a, a high dose, um, ibuprofen. Um, I was able to get off that medicine, which I'm very happy because, it's just something that I don't have to do every yeah. morning. Um, but it's really just having a healthier lifestyle, you know, more exercise, eating better, um, you know, kind of keeping my weight at a more average um, average place just helps because it puts less stress on my joints. So yeah, it's really anything that puts less stress on my joints is, is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so can, I can imagine that, COVID-19 might have kind of posed a challenge to you, given that you're living with JIA. Yeah. Um, has this been the case, and um, what have kind of been the biggest challenges or fears you've had during this period? Um, one of the, the biggest, I guess, fears that I've had is, um, you know, COVID-19 um, affects people, especially who are immunocompromised, and um, JIA, because of the type of arthritis it is, uh, it, is um, it actually leaves me to be immunocompromised. So it has always kind of left me um, at least a little anxious and a little yeah, nervous. Um, you know, even I, uh, we uh, talked to my family about it, and um, I try to not go grocery shopping um, or, or go out to stores or anything like that. Um, and if I, if I do, I, I stay in the car kind of thing, just because they want to minimize my exposure, even with social distancing and wearing masks and everything yeah, like that, um, especially because we live in, you know, a high-density area. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to not come into contact with people. Yeah. So, you know, that's we've kind of taken measures and stuff like that um, to keep me away from people. Um, but one of the things that also makes me nervous um, is that I actually am still working, and I, I actually work at an ice cream shop. Uh, which is great, you know, it's it's a great time of year um, for our business, but the thing is, you know, I still come into contact with dozens and dozens of people every day, um, and it was it was really cool because I, I posed my concerns to my boss, and she actually um, installed, like, window guards and stuff like that to decrease um, contact with customers for me, which was really awesome of a boss to do. Um, but it's still like, I, I, you know, I wear the mask, I wear the gloves, people are wearing masks and gloves, but it's also like, you don't know like who has what, or if you're Where being exposed living, to anything. Yeah. So it's, it's a little, it's definitely at least a little worrisome. It's always something I think about, um, if I ever have to go out 
or if I'm ever going to work, you know, I just, I kind of try to just take precautions. Of course. But you don't know if it's going to be 100%, so it's definitely a little worrisome, because, you know, I don't, I definitely don't want to get COVID-19, but I also don't want to give it to my family, um, because I have some older relatives and stuff like that, so I've definitely stopped seeing them, which I usually see them around this time of year. So we've really just tried to take as many precautions as uh, as we can um, because I am immunocompromised. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely worrisome mm-hmm. with the virus. And when like kind of the restrictions, when this kind of starts to end or die off and people start to become less careful and whatnot, um, like people stop wearing masks slowly and, you know, do you have kind of any plans to kind of still continue to keep yourself safe or combat that when the um, time comes? Yeah, so it's, even if, you know, restrictions start lifting, because um, I know they're slowly, slowly starting to um, become less strict, um, you know, if I am plan on, you know, seeing my friends or seeing family or whatnot, I'm still going to kind of um, try to social distance myself from people as much as I can. Um, just because even though restrictions are lessening, it's still, you know, it's still a concern. It's still out there. Um, but yeah, it definitely is worrisome. Um, so far I've talked to, you know, a bunch of friends. They say, oh, if you want to hang out, cause once restrictions end, we can, I basically, basically told them, you know, I might wait a little longer of course, or yeah. if you want to hang out, you know, maybe we do it, um, where we kind of like sit somewhere, but sit apart just because, um, most of my friends have really stayed home and have been self-quarantining, but it's still just that concern yeah. um, where I'm a little more susceptible to the virus, and, you know, I don't want to get sick. I don't want family members to get sick, so it's it's really just, um, I think I would just continue doing what we've been doing for a little while longer mm-hmm. um, until this, you know, really dies down. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is still definitely going to be a concern for a while. Um, yeah, so as we've seen from your experience, there are definitely challenges to living with JA or any kind of rare disease. Um, is there anything you'd like people to take away from your story, particularly during this challenging global pandemic? Um, I... I think it would just be great because I, I, you know, even at work, I see people just walking around. They don't have masks. They're not social distancing. They're hanging out in huge groups. And especially during this time, it's really important, you know, um, to just kind of social distance, wear the mask, like really wash your hands. Once this is all over, please don't stop washing your hands (laughs) uh, kind of thing. Um, So that's that's that piece, especially during, um, the pandemic. But I guess with my story, it's, it's GIA is something that's definitely manageable. Um, and it's, it's just also something I don't really think about super often because I've, I've gotten to the point where it's extremely manageable for me, which is great, but I do have flare ups every once in a while. Um, but it's, it's, especially during the time, it's always good to just be aware that people may not um, show that they have a disease of some sort, but they might be, um, they might have a disease, they might be immunocompromised. So especially during this time to just, you know, keep that social distancing up would be great. Please, please wash your hands. (laughs) Please continue to wash your hands. Um, 
and just, I guess it's just also stay safe, um, you know, during this time because everything is so crazy. Um, just try to keep yourself safe, keep your friends, family safe. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Laura. Of course, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Next week on the Zebra Chronicles, we'll be joined by an academic whose life has been deeply impacted by rare diseases. She'll be sharing her story and how her academic background has affected her outlook. Tune in next week to hear more.